Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Junior Doctor's Corner. Today we have an extra long episode and I promise you it's because it's jam-packed of really amazing advice and wisdom from Dr. Amran Dillon, who's the founder of Meteor Doctors Australia. I don't, you know, put content in for no good reason, so this is really good value for your time, I promise. One more announcement, don't forget I'll be speaking at Creative Careers in Medicine virtual conference later this year in December. So if you are interested, um, please head over to their website, creativecareersinmedicine.com and get yourself a ticket and come along. I'd love to see you there. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to prelude by saying I'm sorry, the audio wasn't the best at the start of the interview. We had to stop partway and in the end we got the audio sorted so it sounds a lot better in the second half of the interview. Please don't forget to leave us a review if you ended up really enjoying this podcast episode. It will help spread the word about this podcast. And also, uh, we generally love feedback Uh, I would love to know if there's something that you want us to keep doing or want us to stop doing. So yeah, please let us know. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Hi, Dr. Amran Dillon. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. So for those of our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of getting to know you or meeting you, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm based in Melbourne, uh, Victoria. I've been based in Melbourne, Victoria, pretty much my whole life, uh, born in Melbourne. I first started off doing an undergraduate degree in actually engineering and discovered quite quickly I did not enjoy that and then switched over into nursing. And that's when I began my career in healthcare, firstly, uh, as a nursing student. It wasn't until the end of my nursing studies where I was on clinical placements looking at what the doctors were doing and I was quite interested in what they were doing and that's when I decided, right, I'm going to do medicine. So, And shortly went into medicine. I finished up medical school at Deakin University. I really enjoyed all my rotations. That was a bit of a dilemma. But luckily enough, I had a country placement where we did a bit of everything and that's what led me to pursue a career in rural medicine and recently followed as a fellow of the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine and got my advanced training in anaesthetics. So um, by definition, a GP and anaesthetist, but I love the anaesthetic component so much that I finally uh, came back to Metro and now enrolled in the specialist anaesthetic training program. And officially now I'm an anaesthetics registrar in my second year of training. So that's a long roundabout way to um, what my medical career was all about and in regards to other things about myself, I'm sure you'll discover as the podcast continues, but I also run a side business and I've just started that this year and it's a creative social medical media platform called Media Doctors Australia and I'm trying to engage with public by way of um, using creative videography to, um, tra- to relay health messages in a very innovative and 
clear format using different people with different dynamic skills in way of communicating messages. And um, so that's been keeping me busy, but keeping me sane as well during this lockdown. Great. It sounds like you've had a lot of experience in various things, and I'm sure that adds to, you know, your skills and everything as a doctor. Now, can we go back to when you were an intern and resident, because this is going to be relevant to what we're discussing, you know, having done rural training and then now coming back to the metro, you're not so much in the junior role anymore, but what what was life like for you or what was your experience like for you as an intern and resident? Everyone has a very different experience. I would have to say on the whole, I had a very good experience as an intern and as a resident throughout my training at the Northern Hospital. And it was with those years that really helped me go forward in, in medicine as challenging, as tough as it can be, um, and helped me pursue a, a journey or a pathway per se in relation to what I really wanted to do and that's what helped me become passionate about rural medicine and in my intern year I managed to do a placement out rural and I worked in a country town near South Gippsland and it was a mix of clinic it was a mix of hospital stuff and it was a mix of anesthetics and a little bit of emergency so that's where I really enjoyed my intern and residency years was then continuing on from that and rather than just being stuck in that one country town was then have rotations in intern and residency, more, more so residency because that's when you can actually pick because, as you know, in, in Melbourne, we have very mandated terms in internship. It's medical, surgical and an ED term. In residency, you can branch out a little bit and pick what you want. And that's where I had the beauty of picking some paediatrics, obstetrics and gynecology, some more general medicine, some more general surgical. And I um, even got a rotation in critical care in my third year and I did another paediatric term. So really branching out from the fact that I, I loved every rotation as a medical student. I loved every rotation as an intern. So that is what really shaped my residency years, I think. And if you had to really sum it up, I was a real generalist. I learned a little bit about everything. And I enjoyed a little bit about everything as well. So now that you're an anaesthetic reg and internship and residency was a long time ago, it can be sometimes a bit hard to remember what it's like to be in the current interns or residents, their shoes, essentially. And the whole point of this podcast episode was to talk a bit more about how we can promote uh, a better culture in medicine. And I don't know about you, but certainly when I was going through my early years, I did come across some seniors that were not so nice to me and sometimes you can put it down to just their personality and sometimes it's a combination of how stressed they are that day and you know they feel overwhelmed and they just snap at you a mixture of things and uh, including also sometimes their bosses are mean to them and they therefore become mean to their juniors so I just wanted to talk a bit about the importance of setting a good example as a reg now to your juniors and you know how do you go about promoting good culture in medicine a very good question. It's something I'm highly passionate about. And oddly enough, you know, for someone that's had a very good experience in their internship and residency years where, you know, I was lucky enough to have some really wonderful people, good leaders, good registrars that I worked with. But it's something, as you know, that I'm very, very passionate about. And that is junior doctor wellbeing, workforce issues, and changing it so that it is a better culture. 
and you use words such as not so nice and people can be a little bit mean, whether it be their personality. And I like the fact that you do do that because we can't hide this anymore. And, you know, you've carefully selected words, but we could probably think of words that are even more not nice than that. But we really need to tackle it. And there are some very um, tangible ways and some strategies which I've used as I've gone on, but I've had very good examples. I've been lucky enough to have a director of intern training that pretty much modelled the whole flat hierarchy, evolving juniors in the round to the point where that consultant would actually write the note so a junior doctor can engage and not just be, you know, what we used to call the slave-driven clerk. And uh, that's where involving people as much as you can in the team is something that I've always made sure I will do as I progress. And obviously, as I progress, I've become more senior. And then now, you know, when you are more senior, you actually have residents working with you. And I say with you, not for you, because there's this culture of my resident, oh, my registrar, oh, I will get my intern to do that. And I don't think there's people that work with me like that. And it's even making simple changes like changing the words and changing the structure of how we play in the field of medicine and, you know, how we work as a junior doctor or even a senior doctor in the acute workforce, be it the hospital or out in the clinic or a combined setting where you're working in both community and uh, acute care. So I really try to do simple things and simple things such as making sure everyone's rested, um, having a time plan, and this is where I'd like to draw that distinction between personality and, yes, you're right, you know, the attitude and personality and how kind someone is would really make the true difference about how you can really look after your junior doctors and make them feel like they are really a true contributor to the team. But I think on the flip side, there's the other element of trying to improve junior doctor welfare, and that's strategic side. How do you be strategic about it? You can be the nicest person in the world. You can be the nicest registrar. But then how do you be strategic to make sure that the workforce problems of medicine, which is very, very, we're very, very busy, we're often understaffed, well, how can you be strategic to make sure that your interns and your residents are not overworked? And I recall one example that I never got to participate in because I wasn't working under this particular registrar. But I remember it quite clearly because she had an amazing tactic and she had a time planner. And she would make task up as if you were a project officer in another industry. And in that time planner, the key task of what had to be conducted, be it medical one or medical two, would be put down. It is a way of like project managing the day. And that was done very well to the point where nearly every day, unless it was a chaotic day, you know, we always have those chaotic days where no matter what you do, you leave late. The majority of the time, the residents and the interns are left on time and at 5.30. And it was about using that strategy of planning things and just essentially time managing. And that's something we don't learn in medical school. It's only something people may have picked up if they've had another job prior to medicine. And it is a really simple strategy. It's not always easy to do. It's difficult. But if implemented in the correct way, you can really do wonders for you know the workforce on that day so that's where I was trying to draw that distinction between okay you've got one element where it helps to be kind of course it helps to have a good personality where you want to take people under your wing where you love to teach where you love to engage your 
um, medical students or interns or residents, but it takes another skill to think of those tangible and strategic ways that you can incorporate into your practice and not just med- not your medical practice, but in a way of your practice of working, that's going to help tasks be done and it's going to help your juniors. And another one that I like is when, you know, you're doing your discharge summaries and there might be a certain time where you need to do discharge summaries. And if you always get interrupted, well, what's one way you can combat that? Do you move to another area? And sometimes you need a coach the other people you work with and say, hey, you're doing that discharge summary. I need it in half an hour. How about you go sit over there in that room? I'll make sure no one disturbs you. Did you want me to get your pager for you? I'll hold it for that half an hour you do that discharge summary. Anything non-urgent we can deal with later. So those little strategies there too. Uh, Going off to lunch, well, you know, if there's anything important, the nurses are not going to know when you're on lunch. The ward may not know when you're on lunch. And this is where often a medical team works in a certain ward, in their home ward, occasionally have your outlier patients that are off elsewhere. But for your home ward, you can say to the nursing charge, hey, look, we're at lunch, we're in the cafe, um, any emergency, either met call or um, let us know. But so far, everyone is fine and give them a little handover and we'll be back in 35 minutes or 40 minutes. And that way you can have a nice peaceful break because I think even simple things like the pager going off at lunchtime, it's not healthy. You don't get that proper disconnect from the ward and your job and you want that. You want to start fresh with a clean slate. Uh, And, you know, the strategies are endless, but this is something that I try and do. You know, going back to your original question was what do I do as a registrar? And not only, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty nice and kind and I go out of my way to be kind to others, but then I always try to think of a strategy um, and a strategy that's going to help everyone to finish on time, encourage a break if they've not had a break, even if they said no and say, look, if it's as far as doing a discharge summary yourself, um, I've had some great registrars do that when I was a resident. If it means getting the folder off that junior doctor's hand. I've done that many times. And I said, what do you need to do? I need to do that and that. I can do it as well. I've still got to log in. I can go on the computer. I also know how to sign off on drugs. I can write a PR in order for whatever you need. Oh, yep. Which patient is it? That nurse? Fine. I'll go speak to, you know, whether it be Kelly, the nurse, and I'll go speak to her and see what she wants done exactly. You go off and have your break. Done. So those are the things you can do. Um, And I think naturally we're, as doctors, we, we're go-getters and we want to get the job done. We want to keep going. And I think as a registrar or a senior doctor or even for the consultants, if they recognise that, we're all like that, that's when you've got to go that extra mile to go, stop. I know you can do it, but I'm just going to give you a break. And if you have to go as far as snatching a folder off someone, um, do it. And I've done it. And it helps. And, you know, to take that pressure off someone so they can just go get a drink or have a 15-minute break, it does want, it does wonders for them. And it'll help them to refocus when they are back in case it does get busy. Yeah, ultimately be kind. I think that trumps all because if you've got a personality that's calm, that can handle pressure, then you're not going to take that out on your your other people working in the team, be it your intern or your resident that's working with you. You're going to be a lot more calmer for them because I've encountered situations, even though I've obviously I told you before, I've had a pretty good experience and I'm quite lucky in that I've had good rotations. But, yeah, you know, occasionally I've experienced um, some days where it hasn't felt quite good and it might be a simple case of 
they cannot handle the pressure. So in turn, they then deflect that pressure to the juniors that they're working with that day because they simply can't handle the pressure themselves. I think it's a natural human thing that we do. But I think if you're going to step into medicine and if you want to do this job, and this is where I don't give anyone excuses. If you want to work 50 hours a week, if you want to starve yourself of glucose to your brain, and if that really does set off your mood to the point where you start becoming nasty, and I'm like, I'm afraid the job's not for you. Um, you know, you would pretty much have to starve me near death for me to start getting unhappy and then getting angry. And I think that's a good thing to have in medicine because so often you can be rushed, you can be pushed, but it's still no excuse to act in a way that's going to upset your your other workers that's working with you because you're all in a team. So, I mean, I encourage registrars to do the same as well, whether it be my level a bit lower than me or even a level above is to be kind to your peers, to be kind to the people that are working with you. And I think in the past week in the ICU department that I'm working in now, we've really, we've represented that. We sit in a room, social distancing, of course, and the different level and the different skill, you could probably draw a line from here all the way there. And the most senior person has got loads of experience, but in terms of how we all are when we communicate, when we're having a chat and we're, whether we're talking about life, we're just on this flat line and you just don't even know. In fact, probably the most friendliest and most chirpiest one that's so animated was probably the most senior one. And that's how I want to, the culture to be. And slowly it's changing. And, you know, we talk about game changers like yourself doing this junior doctor podcast, really highlighting areas we can improve on and I think we've got a long way to go but the improvements are huge and I think that's the positive is I'm seeing so much um in fact when someone is not being nice or when someone is really not helping their junior along it stands out now because the majority of people are doing the right thing well uh, you touched on a few important points there and I couldn't agree more with what you've said uh, but firstly I just want to delve back into the first strategy that you talked about you mentioned that Reg who would draw up a table and label it medical one medical two so uh, just uh, explain to us how does that work is that because she had an intern and a resident and she would evenly split up the jobs between them or does she actually take on some of the jobs herself is she just the organizer of the task or how does how did that work yeah, good question. I don't know the technique exactly and what was implemented, but it was kind of along the lines of if you're managing Med 1, mm-hmm. uh, which is one team, then you'd have the task and you'd like, you'd sort of, you know, delegate the task of what's most urgent, what's non-urgent, what's semi-urgent, right. and you would then task um, allocate. Yep. So sometimes there might be the trickiest thing to get hold of, cardiology registrar about patient X, Y, Z. And rather than just letting your residents who are capable and your intern to do all the jobs. It's like, let me pick the hardest job, mm-hmm. cardiology, Reg, I can get onto them, you know, pretty quickly. Yep. And that's where she will take that on. Mm-hmm. And the other jobs that are semi-urgent, allocate them evenly because so often you have two interns. One works the, you know, the early shift and then one will work the later shift. Yep. And by doing that, you then touch base and you even have a checkpoint. Maybe the checkpoint might be, before or after lunch and you see who's done what. And yeah. then if one person's finished one task and they're happy to do more, then you allocate it to the other person because maybe, you know, um, the other resident was struggling to get a certain task done. And then let's say the registrar has completed his or her task, then she can 
she or he can take on another one. So it's been strategic to the point even where you might need to make an important phone call or you've got an important thing you need to hand off to workforce. I know how stressful that can be when you're working so hard and you know that, oh, I really need to submit this important paperwork. The bank is going to call me at 12 p.m. I really need to do something. Well, that's when you have a, a brief at the start and you can work out, okay, has anyone got any important things on today? Who needs to be free at what time? Any particular meetings that you want to go to? And you then you can shuffle the, the timetable around. And this is just for one day. But I like to extend that strategy further by saying that at the start of the term, when you're in your team for three months in Victoria and Melbourne, it's three to six months, but you should actually sit down and work out who needs what days off and advocate for a resident who needs a week off in that you know, let's say sometime in March next year, well, then you can do that at the start rather than leaving it till last. And then when you ask me, well, what specific things can a registrar do? Well, I think if the registrar is part of that team for a long time and if they've got a good relationship with medical workforce and you know that one of your juniors needs some days off to go to the wedding, then you need to advocate for them. And you might think that's going above and beyond, but actually I don't think it is. Like I think we all need to figure out all these little tactics that actually cause us stress. And I know a lot of interns, a lot of residents who are so stressed because they cannot swap a shift because of the fact that there is no option or they didn't look, at to it, look into it early enough or medical workforce has just blanketly said no. And this is where sometimes you have to use your level a little bit and go, well, wait a second, I'm unhappy about that. And they can't really get angry at the registrar manning the team because they need the registrar. And this is where you can advocate for your junior and say, look, replace it or get a locum on that day, uh, but they need the day off. And then you know, ways which you can be polite and be assertive and, and be a team player and defend your resident. And this is where I like to, if there is any part where you, I, I mentioned earlier, I like to think of everyone as a team. I work with that resident, I work with that intern, but at any point where I want to take some ownership and that's when I'm defending an intern or a resident, that's where I will take some ownership for them and say, well, look, I'm not letting that happen because they've worked hard enough. They cannot do overtime on that day. Uh, you're going to have to get locum. And if you don't comply with that, I might have to escalate that to the director of medical workforce. And I'd be happy to also escalate with that, my head of department. They're overworked and they've got some things going on at home at the moment. So, yeah, that's just an example I've made up. But you see where there are some tangible ways and some strategies that we can really use. And if everyone did that, I could think, you know, I mean, interns and residents would not have any unfortunate time working or they'll have most of their time will be enjoyable and that's what we want. Mm, absolutely. And I can see that it would be beneficial if I had a reg like you when I was working because unfortunately it's not always the case. And I did work with really good registrars. I remember really appreciating it when whenever we rounded on the wards and instead of giving me instructions to chart a medication later, they just pulled up the med chart right then there and wrote it and got that task off my list. I really appreciated that. But I had to say that advocating for juniors is something that I noticed a lot of registrars struggled with. So, you know, I've had incidences where something happened, I made a mistake, and then the consultant would full on berate me and pretty much blame me for the mistake when really it's a whole Swiss cheese model where a lot of things went wrong and that's why that mistake ended up happening. But none of the registrars spoke up or stood up for me, you know, and I think in medicine, we kind of do forget that 
it's not just about us as individual doctors. Like you said, I love how you've mentioned, you know, you're in a team, you got to be a team player. I think um, a lot of registrars or a lot of us doctors anyway, through medical school, aren't prepared for the fact that when we reach our training level, our registrar level, we will need to look after juniors and not just only answer to our bosses and so that we get what we need with our career path. But uh, you make a very important point. If we have residents that are well looked after, then they're happier residents and then they'll do a better job with patients. Dana, I think you've mentioned some important points there and I sort of picked up that word berate and a lot of people do use that in the medical culture when they talk about medical culture being unprofessional, really. And it's it's unacceptable. And berating people in front of another person, is sometimes I've seen this happen in front of patients, is not on. And I like to highlight one other thing you said after that, and that's where you're quite upset because no one stood up for you. And this is what I've seen a lot. In fact, I don't know what upsets me more is when I see another registrar not stand up for their junior or a consultant not stand up for their their registrar versus seeing it directly when it's happening when a certain team surgical registrar or a medical registrar or a consultant from a team XYZ has made someone or berated them because they've whether it made a mistake or whether they didn't do something as good as what they normally did, whatever. So I really get upset when people don't defend others. And I think it's hard in our job because there's references on the line. You don't want to upset anyone. You want to get a job. We're on these short contracts. But I think that's slowly changing whether you've got to be tactful in how you go about defending others. And, of course, there are certain people that are willing to just overstep that line no matter how kind people think I am, they know that Amron, oh God, he's just overstepping the line. And I kind of put myself at risk a little bit by defending someone. But at the end of the day, if I know I'm doing something good for that person, I actually really don't care. And um, and that's where slowly people are having that attitude. And I can think of a f- only a few people in my head. And, you know, some of them are consultants now, which is fantastic. And they're still on this train of, changing the game and and that's what's happening and we really need that because if you have that like you actually pointed out which is a really good thought you have these residents that are happy you have these registrars that are motivated who are doing wonderful things they will work extra for you they will come to work happy and energetic and if you can make a workplace that's so vibrant and enjoyable in any industry we know this it really helps the team to function amazingly and you will be so efficient and you'll do such a good job and not only that you'll attract others and people will see oh what a wonderful team that's what attracted me to anesthetics is I worked with a bunch of really friendly registrars who were very level-headed grounded people and there wasn't much of a hierarchy and I said oh I want to be a part of this team and I was only a resident then and I thought, these guys are cool. Um, I like how friendly they are. I like how they teach. I like how they're patient. And you really attract people to that field. And if you have a good experience, even if it's orthopedics or cardiothoracic surgery, and uh, I mentioned those two because not often that we have good experiences in those, but if you had a good experience in that, it attracts 
that person to that profession. And, you know, more recently I just saw an amazing orthopedic surgeon and someone that's just so polite and she's a registrar and she's on the program. And, you know, I just, my face lit up when I found out she made it on the program purely because she had communication skills that were phenomenal and she was polite and she had respect. And, of course, going into a tough field like that, she might have to wear a bit, but at the end of the day, when she comes out on the other side of the fence, she's also going to embody that spirit of being kind to her peers and that will change again. And I think you also said something that I don't know how to address it. Maybe you have the solutions to it, but obviously it has to start from the top, I think. If consultants are mean to their registrars and you know it makes registrars really unhappy or makes their uh, job really stressful, it's going to be hard for that registrar to then be kind to their juniors. So do you have any ideas on how we can, aside from just waiting for current nice registrars to become consultants, do you have any suggestions on how we can change the minds of the more old school consultants of, hey, just because you suffered when you were a junior doesn't mean that your current juniors have to suffer like you did? Yeah, that's a hard one and uh, you're right in that sometimes it's modelled behind the department's behaviour, it's modelled behind the other consultant's behaviour and trying to change that can be difficult and we always talk about a standard interview question, how would you approach something if things were wrong and you're like, well, you go to the source first and you try and have a civil discussion. Not always that easy when you know there's certain personality and this is where you sometimes have to find someone who can go around the corner a little bit and it might be medical workforce directly if you've got a good relationship with medical workforce. And, you know, I'd have to say even in the medical workforce that I've had, they've all been pretty good to the point where sometimes you would have to get them on your side and get them to deal with the consultant that's causing trouble. Or it might be another consultant working in the actual unit that probably you have more of a rapport with and who is a little nicer and might be able to in a you know, an undercover way, say, hey, such and such, don't do this, we need to fix this, um, leave it with me. So it's about taking ownership for the team and sometimes consulting with another senior doctor. And, again, I guess it comes back down to I've seen consultants let other consultants' behaviour slip through the cracks and this is where we need those consultants who are at the same level as this consultant who's not acting very nice to his residents and registrars to step up and go, hey, I don't like that behaviour. I've seen that many times. So it's not just the registrars who are not defending their residents. I see consultants that are not defending their registrars. To answer your question in regard to the consultant who's not really defending their registrar, sometimes you've got to go to another consultant and that consultant actually actually has to take ownership and go, yeah, I know that particular consultant has a, a habit of doing that. They need to be brave enough to say, pull them up on it. And if they need to talk to their head of the department, then they've got to do it. And this is where, unfortunately, a lot of medicos go through medicine, even these consultants that work until today, and they've gone through one industry. Um, I've had the beauty of working in a number of industries where, it's been retail, it's been sales, customer service. We operate differently. We operate to the point where we go to the CEO, we go to the head manager, we quite happily go. That's how we've been trained. In medicine, you're not trained that way. So if that consultant can't deal with that other consultant one-on-one, -on -one, 
you know, head of departments one way, but they often don't know that actually the CEO calls the shots. So if you have to, go to HR. But they don't know that pathway. And if they did, they're probably still under that umbrella of, oh, you don't upset anyone. Even if you see someone doing something wrong, you don't tell them off. But mm. I think we need to start changing that. And what about if, say, a registrar is being mean to a junior what advice would you give to juniors would you also tell them to do the same thing whereby they go through workforce is it ever a good idea for a junior to say to a registrar hey I think you're being a bit hard on me or should it always be mediated through another person such as the consultant or medical workforce look I think in this instance it can be a number of ways and it depends on the context it depends what Um, in that situation it doesn't actually um, it's not harmful to go directly to the registrar and say, hey, look, the other day you asked me to do that. Did you know that I was, you know, busy with that? I'm sorry, I probably didn't do, do as good of a job, but I think you just need to give me a bit more space. And the registrar might be taken back and go, oh, I didn't realise I was actually being that um, rude to you. I'm really sorry. Sometimes they need to be told. And sometimes when someone tells them, it's like, oh, okay, it kind of puts them back. And so that's where that tactic does work. Sometimes you can't do that. So medical workforce is one way. And medical workforce might have a a log of, oh, that's the third time I've heard that particular complaint from that particular registrar. Okay, let me run this by the head of department. And then it's run by the head of department. And, you know, true story, I've seen this happen where that registrar has pulled up and they dealt with. So I think ultimately it's fostering a culture that really embodies good work conditions and good working team environments. And when you have culture, you have strength. And this is where I remember clearly at our orientation at the start of last year, um, an obstetrics director who I really look up to, who's pretty clear cut and cutthroat when it comes to not tolerating any nonsense. And he said, look, and I remember this line and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know the exact quote, he looked up and was about 300 doctors and he said, you're all smart. I know that. You're all smart. You've got through medical school. Some of you have sat your fellowship exams or part of your fellowship exams, but I don't care. But there's one thing I want you to have a competition with. I want to see who can be the most kind and make that your competition because you're all smart, but let's have a competition of who can be the most kind. And I remember that line and I think that's what we all need to do because we're all pretty clever. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter what field we choose. We can all pass exams. Even if we fail them a couple of times, we all get through. We're all we're all bright people. But as bright as we are, I think sometimes our EQ falls down the track and we don't really work on that hard enough. And that's because we're busy. It's a pretty challenging field where we always are trying to achieve more and more and we're doing extra things on the side to try and get a successful application in for a particular program. But I think we sometimes need a pause and, and take a break and really work on other things in life that will help you in your career as well and help you handle any um, anything in the workforce to the point of your junior having a bad day. You've got to be able to manage that. Or your junior having a problem with a certain consultant. If you have some tact behind you, you might find a way to help that junior out. And so many times people leave a certain field to go to another field and it might be a good thing for them, but not always. I think if we can attract someone to a certain field by giving them good experiences, particularly if they're going to be very good in that field, 
then we really need to keep going hard at trying to work out what's the best way to give someone a good experience. Yeah, so it's really bringing it back to remembering what truly matters at the end of the day, yes, you might um, charge through and finish your clinic on time and, you know, pass your exams and get that fellowship. But, you know, what's the point if you've just, it's just gone by in a blur and you've never developed any great relationships with your juniors and never left a great impression on them, you know? So I guess you're right. It's about really thinking about our responsibilities as registrars and also, you know, what's really going to help and, and contribute to the greater good. I think you've hit it on the mark there, Dana, and more recently someone told me, how do you make a, a big impact? We all can get through something and follow the common pathway, be it law, medicine, or whatever your chosen field is. But how do you make an enduring standing print in the field you're in? And this is where I like to use the word game changer. And you want to change the game for the for the good. And you want to have good intentions always, but you want to try and reach as many people as possible. And this is where we really need to um, embody kindness in a culture that, you know, is pretty, um, pretty tough because of the nature of the work we do. And the way I simplify it is we're dealing with patients and they're not always um, at their best. They come into the hospital vulnerable and we have to deal with that. And that's stressful in itself. The job is stressful. We're dealing with people. That's stressful. And we're trying to cure people, save lives, manage people that have lost loved ones. That's difficult. So what we need to do is not make it any harder. And the fact that it's made harder by our collegial mentality that's sometimes not so good, you know, we we hear words berate, people not defending one another, not getting the right roster, working overtime and being tired, all, all that needs to be fixed because then we can then dedicate our energy, our time and our mental and physical health to dealing with what's actually quite a stressful job. Um, and, you know, all fields of medicine have their stress. Uh, absolutely. I agree with you there. Now, I know with this next question, you've actually already answered it, but let's see if there's anything else you can throw at it. Um, what are some of the ways or your favourite way that you show appreciation to your juniors? Yeah, look, I think simple things like saying thank you um, and, you know, really telling them your their work is appreciated. Sometimes it might be mean helping them out. So with a task, you know, a simple thing like helping them get a day off or managing something, sometimes they just want some extra tuition and you offer that. Uh, sometimes they want some advice on careers and by talking about their pathway going forward that's a way of an indirect way of saying thank you another thing is what we like to do is um at the end of a rotation organize drinks or a a little party which we can't do now because of lockdown and and get together and I find that's the best way you can say thanks is leveling it out going to the pub and having a few drinks which we did recently with the Ballarat team and it was a lot of fun and you know it's an indirect way of saying thank you when you like you would when you celebrate something you go and you buy your friend a couple of drinks and asking them or asking any junior doctor you have the the beauty of working with is what what can I do to help you and remembering that these are the future like 
I've come across many stories where there's some senior registrars in some pretty um, highly sought after programs now and you you talk to them and they've had some pretty bad experiences from other people, but they're now overtaking them. So it's it pays to be nice as you go through and it doesn't matter what level someone's at because they could be the future pioneer brain surgeon for all you know, and they could. So um, always thank your residents, your interns for, for doing a good job. And even if it means by offering some tangible ways that you can help them out and advocating for them. I think that's the best way I've actually managed to say thanks in indirect ways, advocating them, because I can't really think of any direct ways of saying thank you. It's not like you give someone a gift. You know, generally junior doctors and interns, they actually have a pretty good wage, we all do. So, um, but really um, saying the word thank you really actually is not used enough in medicine. It's not used enough. And when I went to the country, at the end of the day, the GP would walk into my room and say, thank you for today. And I just kind of like, sorry, what, what, what did you say? He said, thanks. I thought in my head, thank you. So thank you. You're helping me. But <laughs> it was thank you. So saying the word thank you. Absolutely. And now on to our final question. Uh, you, I think you already alluded to this at the beginning uh-huh. about your uh, side hustle, which uh, obviously I think you could talk a little bit more about. I'm sure there are uh, our listeners are quite curious about it. Can you please share with us one or two things that's keeping you sane in your crazy busy life right now? Yeah, look, what's keeping me sane, I think... Um, Generally speaking, we go out and we do the things we love, but in a lockdown level four in Melbourne, it's pretty difficult. But for me, it'll have to be running and tennis, uh, playing whenever I can, and music, and actually dancing. And if it means going out and dancing, because you don't always get an opportunity to do a dance class, even just for a few hours, that actually resets me and gets me back on track. And more recently, I've been working hard on um, my new creative business that I'm doing and it's a a social medical media platform where I can actually combine all the passions of what I love doing and music and dance to try and illustrate a piece and convey a health message in that and by reaching out to as many people as possible and like when you start any sort of business or project there's always these little tangents it goes off in and one of those is probably keep being a voice to reach out to others and keep advocating for junior doctor welfare and workforce conditions. And now I think social media is the new thing. Um, There's not many in the space, as you know, and you're one of them that's in the space right now, which is great. And I encourage people to get on board, but it's a nice way to stay connected. And I think more than ever, if you had to sort of uh, modify what you do, to keep sane in lockdown. And one of the things that I've modified is my social outlet is not there, but by way of the fact that it's a coincidence that even I thought about this before Corona is this social media platform where I'm so connected with people. I maintain that connection now and I've made so many new friends and may not have met them face to face, but through these video chats, as you probably discovered, you get to know people pretty well. And that's what's kept me sane with lockdown and with exams and having to restudy again for the exam coming up in March. So it's, um, it's tough, but, you know, I think really doing what you love is so important to recharge and rest and sleep well. The simple things, but I highly encourage them. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time uh, for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. 
Anytime, Dana. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you really like that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.